you'd always sort of been more of like a second pack sort of swimmer in in triathlon typically yeah did like second pack not quite making the front pack but you made a change that that i found was really really interesting and without doing those sets that expose mm. you you're, you're really you're only going to find out on race day and often the answer is not what you want so yeah i think that was really good value Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. On today's episode, we have professional triathlete Mitch Kibbe. He has coached our camps and our clinics, and he's one of the best coaches when it comes to describing how things should feel and cues that swimmers can use to help those changes stick in their stroke. He's a terrific coach. And more than that, he's an excellent athlete. He's gone from essentially being a non-swimmer as a kid to being able to compete at the top level in the front pack at a world championship level. So on today's podcast episode, I asked Mitch, what did he do to get to that level? What would he recommend other swimmers and triathletes do to improve their swimming? And what are some of those things that you've used as a coach to help people improve their swimming. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is someone who I've tried to get on the podcast for years and years and years, and he's finally given in. I've twisted his arm enough to get him on the podcast. It's a good friend and fellow coach, Mitch, I was about to call you Mitch Patterson, Mitch Kibbe. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brenton. Yeah, just a, just a couple of feet tall and Mitch Patterson, but uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. the same presence when you're, when you're with me. <laughs> well, uh, I love to tell the story of how we, we first met because it's, we were, I was down at Elwood Beach with a, what became a mutual friend and we were down there going for an open water swim and here we are thinking we're you know, decent swimmers and then this young kid rocks up and he, go, he says, I would love to, you know, mind if I go for a swim with you guys? And here we are thinking, yeah, good luck keeping up with us, mate. And we go out for this swim and what do you know, we can't drop you and we're trying our hardest and we ended up swimming together. And from that, that day, it, it formed a friendship that's lasted all the way up until today. And that was probably, that was probably a good 12 years ago, do you reckon? Yeah, I think, yeah. From that, we spent a bit of time coaching next to each other. You were coaching PowerPoints and... I think I was filling in for Tribal Triathlon Club at the time at MSAC. So after that swim, I was seeing you sort of once a week for, for a month period. And yeah, I think I've developed a really strong friendship since then. And you've been a, a pro triathlete for quite a while now. And I want to dig into that. Talk about your swimming background and what you've done to get your swim to the point where you're able to mix it with the best triathletes in the world. So I want to talk about that, but also bring on your coaching experience because you've come along to uh, a lot of the camps that we Effortless Swimming have run and you've, you've run a lot of clinics as well for us because when I saw you coaching next to me, what I'd noticed was that you had a really good way of conveying your ideas and explaining some of the points, getting people to know what they need to feel for and what they should be aiming for. And that sort of coaching I thought was like this guy's really good and he knows his stuff and he genuinely cares about the person that he's talking to so that's I think what what made me want to start to bring you into the stuff that, that we were doing and it's been a lot of fun having you on those those camps and on those clinics and being able to coach together so I want to draw on some of your coaching experience as well on on today's call so just to kind of kick yeah. it off what what was your swimming background prior to doing triathlon so I, I guess I'd classify myself as a footy club swimmer. So 
Growing up, I played Australian rules football and cricket, and I was as passionate about both those sports as as anyone else. And I did very little swimming. And I, in fact, I only thought triathlon existed on TV at the Olympics. And I used to love it when it'd come around. It'd be the it'd be the marquee sport of my two week Olympic campaign. I just couldn't wait to watch it. But I had very little to no exposure to it in Australia at home because I spent all my weekends in summer on the cricket field. So basically I, I did some swimming at school. I never had formal lessons or or did any squad swimming outside. So I was very much just relied on my fitness as a as a runner to translate in the pool. And as many people know, it doesn't cross over particularly well. I did a few sort of school carnivals and relays and things like that, but I would swim, yeah, probably at best three to four times a year. And it wasn't until I finished school and I moved up to Noosa with a good friend of mine that the Noosa Triathlon actually came past our doorstep and I went down and and got talking to a a guy who competed in it. I never know his name and probably, yeah, never going to see him again. But thanks to him, he really lit a spark and and showed me that triathlon's accessible to everyone. And uh, yeah, from, from there, I went down to Rebel Sport in Brisbane and I bought a a triathlon suit and I was actually quite lucky because that day I remember I was tossing up between this old discounted eyeline triathlon suit or a pair of skins compression shorts and a compression t-shirt that was white and I was going to go the white skins and the white t-shirt but I reckon if I had bought that (laughs) not the eyeline suit I would have been one and done in the triathlon scene because it uh, wouldn't come (laughs) across too well but yeah, anyway, I bought that suit. I bought a bike out of the trading post and I went down and did a couple of the, the Queensland Triathlon series, the old Gatorade series up there. And yeah, I was sort of instantly hooked on the sport. I loved it. I was side by side in last position out of the water with, with another guy. But uh, yeah, my first race was a fairly traumatic swim. I looked up at the course. It was only a 400 metre swim and I just thought I'd be able to give it a bit of energy and and sort of come out with with anyone else um mostly just because I felt like I wanted it more than anyone else but I got sort of 50 to 100 meters in and realized that things were starting to get heavy and 400 meters was starting to feel like a long way around so yeah I was pretty happy to get back on land that day and then really loved the rest of my first race but found out I had quite a bit of work to do in the water after that and basically my, my early years of swimming started just going down to the public pool. I think I'd get through about 1,000 to 1,200 metres. Give myself a bit of a pat on the back when I walked out and, uh, yeah, sort of tried to do that about three times a week. It really wasn't until I moved back to Melbourne to start university at the end of that year. So that was 2008, 2007, sorry, no, 2008. And I linked up with Andy Sleeman at Tribal uh, Triathlon Club and he was really the, the first person that sort of showed me the way in swimming, taught me the sort of fundamental etiquette. And, yes, I spent the next couple of years training with that group and, and really putting a lot of time into to do, learning swimming as I would have if I had have started in the squads when I was sort of 12 or 13. So, um Probably always felt like I was a decade behind where I needed to be, but as a 19, 20-year-old, I was pretty keen to 
to make up that time as quickly as possible. Don't, yep. don't you love how naive you were going into that that first race? You look at like just going, yeah, 400 meters, easy. I'm going to, as long as I give a good effort, yeah, I'll be coming out really well. And of course, you just, you get absolutely smoke yourself and then you end up filling with lactic acid and having a traumatic experience that uh, yeah, could put you out of the water for a long time. But yeah, it's, so what I love about that is that you see someone like you where, where you are now, people just think, oh, they've always been a good swimmer. You know, they haven't had to like work that, that much for it. Where matter of fact, it's the complete opposite. Like you've got, you started from hardly being able to swim at all to, to now where you are. And I know the amount of time and dedication and thought and effort that you've put into get where you are. So just it, nothing comes, comes easy or comes quickly. It's, it's, it's a long, long process. Looking yeah. back, how did, did you think at the time that it would take this long to kind of get to this point? No, not really. Like, I guess my uh, asking my 20 year old self how long it would take. And I think, particularly at that time, we had so many successful Australian athletes on the world stage. Like, Emma Snowsill was winning gold medals, Brad Carterfelt and Courtney Atkinson were just always podium or top five at the the world triathlon races and then of course Craig Alexander and Chris McCormack what they'd done in the Ironman races so I guess as as an Aussie I felt like that was going to be my path too and it was just a matter of yeah a couple of years down the track I'd I'd win a national title and then probably uh, being conservative two or three years after that I should win my first world title and then it's just going to be downhill with the wind from there. But I think <laughs> I think I was always aware and, and willing to put the work in. And I think I always had a longer term view that for me, I might develop a little slower than what some others had. And it might be a 10 or 15 year journey to where I wanted to go. And now I am 15 years down the track. And yeah, I feel like, yeah, there's still plenty of years ahead of me to, to keep going down that path. But I guess my my early experiences with swimming were were really my biggest asset as a coach because when people do walk into an, an effortless swimming clinic or an I4 coaching swim session, I can sort of look at them and get a read on how they're feeling and sort of what their sort of mental and emotional state is coming to the pool. And it's one of the first things that I look for when I when I meet a new swimmer. And Having been there myself and had to under, like, have to sort of learn the hard way and manufacture the right thoughts to have around your swimming, I think it's it's just helped me create a bit of a dialogue with that swimmer to soften the challenge for the day and just first and foremost get them enjoying what they're doing and feeling like they can start to build some confidence from a, a pretty early early part of their swim journey. What were some of those early things that, you did to be able to get over that first hump or that first hurdle where something's a bit of a chore, it's hard work and you don't have much rhythm. What were some of those things that Andy worked on with you in the early days? Because I had another pro triathlete, Matthew McElroy, on recently and when he was talking about the things that he did in the early days, it's quite different to what he's doing now. He did a lot of swimming with double pool boy, band around the ankles, just working on that core control. And like these days, he doesn't really do that at all, but he had to do some different things initially to, to kind of get over that, that initial learning period. So I was curious what it is for you. Yeah. Well, I guess back, back a step for that before I sort of really started 
uh, going down that like the squad swimming path. I'll actually give a shout out to one of my good mates, David Bardol. Um, his dad, Albie, had actually swum the English Channel, and at the time that I was coming into it, they set up a, a little icebergers group down in Melbourne. And one of my very first open water swims in Melbourne, um, we met on Blackrock Beach at 6am and it was pitch black and I went down as Dave's mate and sort of a guest of the group and they had a little circuit that they'd do a couple of times a week. But when I was standing on the sand there, went to put my goggles on, my goggles snapped and Dave handed me his goggles and said, look, you take these, I don't don't need them, I I know this loop, I know where we're going. And anyway, he took me out and he was a far better swimmer than I was, I'll say at the time, because I think I've got him covered now. But <laughs> he, I'll never forget how patient he was with me. He waited with me while we went around the loop and basically just was was just the perfect sort of introduction to open water swimming and made me love the sport because my first experience there was really positive. I got to hang out with my mate. It was, we got to watch the sunrise come up over over the bay and you step out of the water and you've just had the day off to such a great start. So I think, yeah, that, that really lit a spark and gave me some passion for swimming. And I think I've never really lost it since then. A lot of people say that swimming's just their, their biggest chore in the week, but I've always looked at it like it's just such a luxury to be able to go to the pool and have a swim and understand what it is you're doing and, and to be quite confident at it. So, yeah, it, it is difficult to remind yourself that sometimes when you're tired and you just need to get it done. But I think I've always loved swimming and that's been, yeah, such a such a fortunate mindset to have. But then going, mm. going through my sort of more formal swim development, I think Andy, Andy really taught me that etiquette about sort of reading the pace clock and connecting a, a swim warm up, a made set and a cool down and just sort of installing some gears in your swimming. And then I went on and swam with Mentone Grammar, Mentone Aquatic for probably three or four years. And that was when I was racing ITU triathlon and the swimmers at that squad were at a, a really good level. They trained really hard and we had a bunch of triathletes that came in and I, I would say that we just worked really hard in the pool for those few years. And there wasn't many times where I walked away with petrol in the tank, but I think I learned how to suffer in those, in those swims. And particularly with things like doing kick, I, I wasn't a, a natural kicker and connecting the sort of top half and the bottom half of my stroke was, was really difficult. And if you threw me a kickboard, I'd pretty much go on the spot, but I think as a, a discipline thing for the swim squad, at one point we had to do 2050s of kick on the minute to start every session for the week. And I was basically getting to the point where I was touching on 59 or 60 seconds and going. So the first 20 minutes of the swim was pretty much all out kick for me. But <laughs> in in a short period after, I started to get competent and improve with the kick. And then when I would be swimming freestyle, I'd sort of be able to connect the, the top and bottom. And that really just took the brakes off from my swim stroke. And then, mm. yeah, I guess that that's where just started to get an understanding of how different swim sets and, and intervals can impact you, your swimming level. So doing some overspeed stuff with long rest, 
versus doing some threshold stuff with short rest and just getting a sense of the interplay and how to basically build an effective swim program. So yeah, that was probably through my early 20s that I started to grasp that. And then probably the biggest step in my swimming journey was when I had the opportunity to train with Darren Smith and his squad. I spent two years with Darren and that was really a swimming revolution for me. He pretty much stripped back everything I knew and he did. He he gave me double pool boy and I spent a lot of time swimming with double pool boy and basically tried to, he treated me as a non-swimmer, even though at that time I felt like I'd done three or four years and I could be the sort of thought pretty looking freestyle swimmer. But Darren said, no, Mitch, you're never going to be that swimmer. Let's let's teach you about stroke rate and rating up and, and let's get you fitter and get you sitting on top of the water and uh, and learning how to basically create an effective catch and pull. So I think at that time, yeah, it really sort of transformed my learning on the swim. But again, one of the great assets for me as a coach from that time was I had to really think my way through and Darren really challenged me to think about what I was doing and to be able to actually make the changes that he wanted to see from pool deck and I found it really hard I found that really difficult to be able to to do that and in that time that's when I came up with a lot of these little cues or little sayings I guess that would basically just stop me from going mad in the water but I think they're they're the sort of that's the dialogue that I can help share with some other swimmers and and I, I think I've been able to refine them to a way that yeah, I can make swimming make sense to, to many more people. Mm. Yeah, it's, I find a lot of it comes from that personal experience, whether it be from your own swimming or you start working with people and then you start to develop these, these ideas. And in terms of where you're at now, if you don't mind sharing the, the story of a couple of months ago when you were training with a very good triathlon swimmer and what it sort of made you realise in terms of your ability in the water. Because you, like just... You'd always sort of been more of like a second pack sort of swimmer in in triathlon. Typically, yeah, like second pack, not quite making the front pack, but you made a change that that I found was really, really interesting. We talked about this on our Thailand camp. But if you don't mind sharing that story, because I found it super helpful and, and interesting. Yeah, so just a couple of months before we were in Thailand, I spent a few days training with Josh Hamburger and I think that was sort of a bit of a second wind with the way that I was looking at swimming. And I'd been training up in Andorra at about 2,100 metres altitude in a, in a pool up there. And it was, it was pretty hard work. So swimming was, it was starting to become like every time you go to the pool, you're sort of, yes, you're not swimming on your terms. And there weren't many days where I was really able to sort of get out ahead. But I think that time, gave me a little bit of fitness but then during that trip I went down and swam with Josh where he lives and trains with his wife Ash through the European summer Uh, but I think it was really important to actually see the the way that he approached swimming and I probably in my mind I'd always thought that these guys who had always been leading out the swims it was because they were such good swimmers when they were younger and they didn't need to, they no longer needed to train hard on their swim. So I guess uh, even though for many years I've been 
like a, a very good local swimmer. I guess on the start line, I always felt like I was at a bit of a disadvantage because the guys I was up against could just sort of condense their challenge during the training week to only two sports. But during that time, I actually saw how hard Josh worked in the water and I was really impressed by the sets that he was getting through and just the way he approached it. And probably one of one of the things I noticed is that it was really no fuss swimming. Like he, he wouldn't have long rest intervals and stand on the wall for a, a good portion of time. And I think at the time he was a week and a bit away from an Ironman race. And just as I'd be thinking that, uh, well, he, he'll be sort of staying to rest up and, and really look after himself, but it was quite the opposite. He was doing some really solid swim sets and even on the bike and the run, he was sort of continuing to work really hard. So I was really impressed by the way he was training and just his sort of endeavour to, to keep his swimming as an asset. And I sort of sat down and reflected on the back of that and just sort of compared some of the sets that I'd been doing in my own swim program and some of the things that I felt had had created a, a quite an immediate difference for me on the back of that. And there was a there was a lot more mixed pace swimming, a lot more shorter rest. And it was probably just a fair bit more specific to an actual race day swim. Whereas for a number of years I'd sort of felt like I could show myself in training that my swimming was at the top level or at my top level and I'd get through sets that I felt would be would be the requirement to swim in the front pack but it was always just a little different and I'd just never feel quite settled in the group and I probably found myself in that position where I was either the mid or back half of the lead group or I'd be behind the split and be effectively towing the chase group and I always felt like I was probably swimming at a better level or if I was swimming with the same guys in the pool, typically I'd be the one leading the lane and or sort of feeling like I was well controlled in the set, but we'd come to the open water and it just, I, I felt like it just didn't suit me. But yeah, since since then I, I had made a few changes and I started to be a little more sort of polarized with my speeds during longer continuous reps and I would reduce the rest time and I think I just got a really good response from it and it really allowed me to sort of bridge that gap from what was typically happening around the three or 400 metre mark in the swim where I'd be really bubbling up with lactate and starting to feel like my my pace would be decaying from, from the get-out speed and it would be that moment that I'd be coming under pressure in the race and I think I was just able to start to condition myself a little more to be able to absorb that first 300 metres and then settle at a pace that I felt like was more the, the, the pace that I could just roll out time after time in the pool but not able to do it after an aggressive start in, in a race, which which ultimately means yeah, it doesn't matter what you do in the pool, it's it's what you do on race day that counts. And so, yeah, that, that was just a really valuable few days that just, yeah, triggered some thinking. And uh, yeah, since since then, I've had really some of the best swims of my career. And yeah, being able to put myself in a position where I've actually had a little bit of get out speed and it just creates a totally different experience in a big pack when you're not getting sort of stuck in the melee a little bit further back. And what's an example set that you would do now just to help train that front end speed? 
So it could be something like doing 200 reps, but rather than just doing them at a sort of even pace and coming in, just say I'm in the pool, maybe it's five 200s on three minutes. I'd probably swim swim them between 235, 238, and I'd just typically roll through. My first split would be almost identical to the second, second split, but instead I'd sort of flip that a little bit and I'd go 25 fast, 25 easy for that, for that rep. And perhaps the time might be even slightly slower, but it would give me that change of pace. So you're sort of injecting a little bit of lactate into the system. You're absorbing it without falling off completely. And then you're just repeating that. And it actually, it's a, it's a fairly different stimulus to the rep, but I think it just, it gives you that sense of gears and control. And it probably just importantly, it shows you when too much is too much. So if you're, aggressive pace is unsustainable you're really going to feel it particularly in the last sort of 50 or 100 of that 200 rep so it's sort of giving you a really good hold on what your top end change of pace should should be Mm, yeah gotcha and there's another set that i remember you talked about maybe one that you did with josh that that i thought was quite good it was something like 150 quite strong almost like front end speed of a race and then maybe 350, just moderate, and then another 150 strong, and then 250 recovery, and it, like keep working your way down. Is that was that another set that you were doing? Yeah, we we did a set that day. It was effectively like v, VO2 efforts in the pool, but rather than take your long rest recovery and let the lactate accumulate or or clear while you're standing on the wall, it was pretty much instant rolling straight into the aerobic recovery and again just swimming with that lactate in your system which is probably a set for many years that I would avoid just because of how awful they feel but I was probably doing variations of of that but I'd always probably craft it in a way that was more favorable to how you'd prefer to feel rather than actually the reality of how you do feel so yeah, a set like that, maybe for a bit of context, the the pool that Josh and Ash swim in when they're in Andorra, um, it's a little bit cross between. It to me, it feels like a two lane snippet of the ocean in perhaps the middle of Ash Strait in a disco. With it's got this sort of neon blue light, <laughs> and it's quite unsettling the first time you jump in. And I remember Josh saying that he always struggles to to comprehend the times that some of the other pros swim because. He never seems to be rewarded with those times in the pool that he swims in. And it didn't take me long to realize why, because it just mm. felt like fairly tough going in there. But uh, yeah, once once I'd been in there for a couple of swims, I, I sort of got to enjoy it. I was probably pretty keen to head up the head up the mountain and go back to my 2100 <laughs> meters for, for a, an easier swim. But uh, yeah, I think doing sets like that, in, in a pool like that, we're really like, we'd sort of roar up to, to full intensity pretty quickly. And I, that day I was definitely creating a bit of lactate in the system. And then it was probably another thing that I noticed that the gap between myself and Josh wasn't necessarily in that first 150 meters when we were swimming hard. It was in that 350 or 450 that we were swimming off that his aerobic level or his ability to clear the lactate was far better than what mine was and that was also just just another great opportunity to to sort of swim with someone who's 
really the benchmark of the sport and just to see how you compare. And without doing those sets that expose mm. you, you're, you're really, you're only going to find out on race day and often the answer is not what you want. So, yeah, I think that was really good value. It it makes you appreciate being in a, a good pool. Like, yeah, there's, you can become a, you can become a world champion in almost yeah. any environment, any pool you swim in. You can you can still mix it with the with the best, even if it's maybe a hot pool. It's humid, but it does. It's a lot easier in a nice outdoor fifty meter pool if you've got the option. But because yeah, we we grew up swimming in a in a twenty five meter pool, four lane twenty five meter pool, uh, right next to a rail a railway track. It was couldn't be more than five meters away from where the pool was, and if a train ever came through, you'd Feel the whole thing shaking, <laughs> and it was a good 29, 30 degrees in the in the water, and we'd be doing like our sprint sets there, like just back end speed after back end speed, and we would come out just so well, so well sweating, but like we're in the pool, but it was we were just exhausted after those those sessions. But my dad, who was my coach, would always drill it into us. He's like, none of the other kids are doing this. Like you, this makes you guys tough. Like this is this is what what's going to help on on race day. And it's like if you can just Drill that into your mindset that the harder it is right now, the easier it's going to be on race day, the better off you're, you're going to be. And well, that's, just, that uh, must just explain, going back to some of those. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that must explain why you ripped my arms off in Thailand when we were doing some swim sets over there in the heat. You were born for well, it. it. It's easy when you've got one sport to train with. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> just going back to some sets that, that are good to just help kind of clear the lactate and be able to keep your composure when you've got some of that that fatigue and that lactate we've we've been doing a few sets like on our wednesdays we do speed work and we'll often do like some some all out fast 50s straight into some breath control so i think we did from memory it was maybe like 250s fast on the minute and then we going like i think 650s on the minute breathing every three on the first lap and then we go five seven nine eleven so that might be five so yeah, and just as you get towards that 9, that 11, it becomes really hard. Even if you're going easy, it becomes really hard to hit that breath control. But if you can just learn to relax, keep your length, and to be able to hold your breath for that long, I find that that helps immensely when it comes to those threshold sets and those other sets. Like it's just that combining the like the aerobic ca- capacity of being able to do it and being able to keep your stroke under control, keep your composure, like that's a really powerful combination to have those those two. But it's really uncomfortable, even though you're not going hard. And we did a set in Thailand that that Sam ran where it was like 25 and a 50 sprint. Then we had to do, I think it was either stroke count um, in the recovery or trying to hold the stroke count. And it was yep. it was so hard, even though it wasn't a long set. But you can really get a lot out of those those shorter sets if you do them how they're meant to be done. Before we dive into the rest of today's podcast episode, this episode is proudly brought to you by Form Smart Swim Goggles. They've been a longtime sponsor of the podcast and they are my go-to goggles when it comes to tracking my training sessions and being able to see what's happening in real time through the goggles. And we know swimming is a highly technical sport, but without the guidance of a coach on deck, identifying and addressing technique flaws can be a challenge. They've recently added a new feature to the goggles, Head Coach. And this addresses that problem head on. It gives them as improved access to their technique awareness, focus skill development, and in-app education and analysis. Head Coach provides real-time visual coaching via the Form Smart Swim Goggles augmented reality display. 
During and after a swim, head coach provides swimmers with technique feedback using two types of metrics, form score and head coach skills. Form score is a measurement of overall swim efficiency ranging from zero to 100, defined by your pace and your stroke length. Head coach skills encompasses five key areas that will help you identify where to focus on improving with your efficiency. Head roll, head pitch, set pacing, interval pacing, and breathing time to neutral. And after completing a session, you can check back in on the form app to track your progress. And Head Coach provides swimmers from beginner to expert with an unprecedented level of data-driven guidance and understanding, enabling you to boost your performance and your speed. Get your pair of Form Smart Swim Goggles today. Click the link in our podcast description or use the code EFFORTLESS on checkout to get 15% off your Form Smart Swim Goggles. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's probably another potential trap that I've had swimming a, a lot in the public lanes by myself over the years is I would, my tendency is to look at the job for the swimming is to just accumulate volume. And I'd look to do a sort of 4k set and towards the back end, put full boy paddles on and just feel good about getting through some distance. And often a, a set like that, where you'd be doing some, some really challenging and then uh, combining it with some some more stuff that has the sort of skill, the breath challenge to it, that yeah, you just you tend not to do that shorter, harder stuff because when you go back and look at your sort of swim volumes for the week, it's going to look better to do an hour worth of swimming and get through four k than to do forty minutes worth of swimming and get through two k. And yeah, I th- I think if you can really identify those things that you need for your swimming and get yourself to the pool i think that's when you can really start to see some some improvement that that comes and it's it's what gets anyone back to the pool when you can start to see your times come down or you sort of handle on mm. on what the objective is improve then yeah you're you're going to be keen to get back and that's probably above all swimming's got to be something that is sustainable over a long period of time to to keep getting the results and so yeah it's it's well worth identifying those things that it's like a gap analysis for your own your own swimming yeah the the things that have stood out to me just doing this this podcast really when i've had guests on like yourself is that what you do in training should be specific to the events that you're you're training for so if you're pool swimmer doing 400 meters well that training should be specific to that if you're a triathlete your training is going to be fairly fairly different it's a different thing that you're, you're trying to achieve and you've got the open water skills and all of that as well so the thing i've, I've noticed there is the, the best the best athletes in their sport are very specific with their training and the other thing is too is that things don't come quickly or easily and usually the the athletes that are happy to just put the work in without being too worried when they see those results, they're just chipping away, chipping away and just doing the work. Well, they're the ones who look up and might be 12 months later, might be 18 months later, maybe five years later. And now they're at that, that, that point that they would have liked to have been at when they, yeah, if they're setting their goals, but they just put their head down and just day in, day out, they practice the things that they had to practice and they weren't looking to get results quickly. And yeah, like, and because basically it's not going to change what you're actually doing. It's like, as long as you do the day in, day out stuff, well, you're probably going to get to that, that target that you set yourself because it really just comes down to the habits that you get yourself into and that consistency over a very long period.
period of time. And there's, there's ways to fast track it by working on your technique and making sure you're doing the, the right things. But ultimately, there's no shortcutting the time it takes to get really good at something. And it, I think it's all about just being able to see those improvements at least eventually or feel those, those improvements and just, yeah, just, just see that light at the end of the tunnel. Because when you first start swimming, you're going to suck at it. But the good thing there is, well, the improvement's going to be quite, quite large initially. And then if you can get, if you can really just enjoy that part of it, then you're going to probably enjoy the swimming because you're enjoying seeing that improvement over, over time. Yeah. And that's, that's really the luxury that a lot of swim clubs have, isn't it? With swim squads, it's, you get a group of young kids or, or even for the adult amateur swimmers, you get a group together and that friendship that is formed for, for the swimmers standing at the wall waiting for the next traumatic set to be served up. It's, it's such a, a strong bond. And yeah, I think there's just so much value in having some mates that you can link up with at the pool. And yeah, like a, a great example is I, I've spent a number of years training with Kelly Stubbins at um, Halebury Aquatic, which is now uh, Cheltenham Amateur Swimming Club. But she's done such a great job with that squad. And over the last five years, I've really noticed some of those kids just come on and, and really find their best swimming. But I think the, the best thing was the culture, while Kelly was building that culture, just among the group, it was okay to fail some days. And I think it was just a credit to the people that were in the water that they supported each other well enough and you could always recognise when someone was not on a good day. And that's something that being in the lane with these guys, I always really appreciated because. I'm someone who always wants to see a good day. And if I have a bad day at training, I'm always really hard on myself. Um, but just through these um, training with these guys who are half my age, I realized that it was okay to have a good day and it really changes the pressure that you put on yourself going to the pool. So, yeah, I can't, I can't sort of speak highly enough for the value of either having a squad or a partner that can keep you accountable and it's certainly not all the time. I think it's it's well worth spending a, a, a good amount of time at the pool by yourself. But if you can have someone to help get you through those those more challenging days, then it's just going to make you enjoy your time in the water a hell of a lot more. Yeah, definitely. I think it's there's power to having both, especially as a as a triathlete, where you get the hard work of a squad and that camaraderie and you push harder and then also just the peace and quiet the calmer waters of a maybe a lane to yourself or just doing a session on your own where you can just just relax and enjoy being in the water it's i've talked about that quite a bit on the, on this podcast of you know, having having both can can really help and and i know we've done some good sessions when we used to live closer to closer to each other than we do now but uh, that was that was a lot of fun training together especially in the open water you know, it's, it is much more enjoyable going out with a group if you can in the open water. I don't know yeah. if I've ever done an open water swim by myself. Not a, not a proper one anyway. Yeah, well, we're not going to recommend it. But uh, yeah, sometimes it needs to be done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, just shifting gears a little bit, what would you say is the hardest thing about being a pro triathlete and the best thing about it? I think that the hardest thing is is really just enduring the years that it takes to, to get good basically and I think some some people have a much faster 
trajectory than others, but uh, certainly my path has, has been about finding a way to stay in the sport. And yeah, I, I really can't tell you the amount of life lessons that I've learned just as a byproduct purely of trying to sustain a life as a pro athlete. And I guess it's, it's going through the roller coaster of sort of health and injury, the sort of financial side of, of being able to stay in the sport. And then also just the competition side of things where you're, you're sort of having some really great days that show you that your, your goals and aspirations are right on the horizon. And then some other days where you feel like you're, you're just right back at square one. But I think just sort of having, having the sort of resilience to stay in the sport, it's, yeah, it's certainly the, the hardest thing. And I don't think it gets that much easier over the years because there's always another thing that comes up that makes that, that, that is an equally sort of challenging moment in your career. But I think the thing that allows you to, to get through them better than what you did in the past is purely just the experience that you've had. You've faced a similar situation before and that's given you the tools to, to be able to move on to the next moment and perhaps just flatten out that roller coaster. Um, and I think for me, yeah, particularly I look at my career now and it's just, it's a much smoother ride than what it was when I was first starting out and yeah, probably got to know myself a lot better over those years and, and realizing that having a rest day or a couple of rest days in a row is exactly what I need to bounce back. And I'm actually seeing, I really respond well to those couple of days off where, uh, initially I'd be so reluctant to take a day off and I'd drag myself out at 8 PM at night to get a session done just so I didn't have to say it was a rest day and there was no question it was the wrong thing to do. But uh, yeah, I just felt like I owed it to myself. It's like, come on, you, you want to be in this sport. You want to say you're a pro triathlete. We'll go on, go and get it done. Um, but yeah, just, just being able to be a little bit more responsible with that has, has certainly helped, but uh, no, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge credit to, to the athletes who have built a career for themselves and, yeah, it's something that when you stand on the start line, you just can't help but respect the guys who you, you don't know what they've gone through since the last time that you saw them on the beach at the last event, which could have been three months ago. But everyone has their own way of getting through to the next race. And yeah, I think that's that's where it's just nice to respect what everyone's had to do to, to be standing there competing again on the day. Um, but the best thing, and it's probably something that uh, we've spoken about in the past is really it's having control over your own lifestyle and, and fortunately my work as a coach with i4 coaching i am able to manage my workload in a way that allows me to get my training done and yeah it's be, being able to wake up and choose choose the the time the alarm goes off and choose what i'm having for breakfast and where i'm eating that is quite precious to me and uh, yeah, fortunately, I've been able to escape the nine to five lifestyle for most of my life so far. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's something that I really treasure. So yeah, hopefully things keep going well, and I can keep living this lifestyle for a few years more yet. So so you can choose whether it's the NutriGrain or the rice bubbles in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably no, that's have a, to, that's okay. a great. I've had to go a bit steady on the Nutri-Grain. I think I hit it pretty hard for my teenage years. So, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying not to relapse on that. 
<laughs> Sounds like mean mean wheat picks with, with honey on top. Go through half a half a, a jar of honey in the morning and about a dozen wheat picks. But um, I know we've sort of spoken about about that quite a lot, and I think in terms of being able to be a pro triathlete, very hard to do with a, a typical nine to five job, and just having that that ability to build the coaching business, work with a great bunch of people. And I know you're really close with a lot of the people that you coach. They've been with you for years and years and years. And for, for good reason, you keep a really small group of, of people that you coach yeah, and you build that relationship because you, you want to get the best out of them. And it's, it's been great to watch your journey over the last dozen years or so that I've, that I've known you. And, uh, and it's not done, not done yet as well. And I know that's why you're holding off on coming on the podcast because you said, look, my journey's not not done. Um, but I, I wanted to get you on just to share your experience up to now and to talk about what's worked for you and what's worked for people that you've coached because I think you're a great asset to other triathletes who want to not only improve their swimming but become, become better athletes. What about in terms of the mental side of things? You've got a really, I think you tend to, you, you really sort of skew in that area when you're looking at helping someone. It's not just about you need to do more of this type of training or whatever. It's very much the mental side of things. What makes you so interested in, in that side of someone's racing and, and training? Yeah, I, I guess I have sort of some, somewhat specialized in that personality profiling aspect of, of an athlete. And I think it's, it's because I've just seen how valuable and how necessary it has been for me. I think the voices inside for me speak very loudly. And just getting to know the messages that they're that they're sort of sharing and and how to how to sort of manicure them so they're they're sending the right messages at the right times I think is really important and it's just such a a, a fundamental part of for, for any athlete and any person for that matter is just to be able to sort of control control your mindset and I just really had some some great breakthroughs working with the mentor of mine Aaron Montague who he was able to sort of explain to me that the the voices that I'm sharing with myself that they're not necessarily speaking in the way that I thought they were and I guess an example of that is I I would always think that your ego which is the voice inside as it would talk to me I would say it's my best friend. It's it's the thing that's gonna take me to the next level. It's the thing that's gonna sort of sustain me in the sport and it's sort of me and the little voice inside and as long as I listen to it, it'll be fine. But through through my time with Aaron, I guess we, we really uncovered the tone of some of those messages and often they would be negative things and they would be coming from a place of responsibility and discipline and it would really changed the way that I looked at what I was trying to do. So I, I wouldn't be going for a swim because I wanted to. I'd be going for a swim because I had to and it was the right thing to do. And that's something that I can pick up a lot in in athletes that I meet. And, yeah, just just being able to sort of change change the messages or, or the way that you approach that, it means you're still going to arrive at the pool, but you can arrive at the pool on your terms and sort of do something with freedom versus do something with sort of the stress and the negative tension that so often we carry around with us from day to day. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was certainly a real breakthrough moment for me. And I think it also came at, at a time where I was learning that, that 
was really necessary for myself as a person. And that was around the time that both of us lost one of our closest mates, Ryan Burke, who actually set up Eiffel Coaching with. He unfortunately passed away in 2017. And it was just a few months prior that I was exposed to this stuff for the first time. And I always feel that having that at the time, um, it really helped me sort of navigate that path and to be able to sort of sustain the business that we had and, and stay in a role as a coach, I needed to be able to help myself first. The lessons that I got from there have been really significant. And uh, yeah, in in the more recent years, I've sort of been able to start to use them as as an asset rather than on on a more defensive side. But yeah, I just, I think it's so significant for athletes to be aware of the, the tendencies they have and the sort of changes in their behavior and their moods and how that can impact their lead up to a race and their actual, their sort of sustainability as an athlete, because we see a lot of people that come in and they, they want to really take it on and do everything in the first three months. And if it doesn't happen, they disappear and we lose them to the sport. So I guess a lot of my work when we're starting with a new athlete is to try and identify where they fit on the on the continuum and to be able to sort of set set goals for them and, and be able to like identify a little bit of a timeline that's more appropriate to, to where they're coming from. And then I guess it's it's really just become a sort of passion, a hobby of mine to to be able to drip feed that through the programs that I write and the training that we do and try and encourage someone to be in the middle of a session and just having an awareness of where their thoughts go or where there may be opportunities for them to continually improve. And yeah, I, I think it's something that I'd, I'd love to pursue maybe on on another level when I'm not racing anymore. But yeah, for now, I, I really enjoy just continuing to learn about myself. I actually hosted a, a mindset talk a few years ago. And one of the questions that I had at the end of it was along the lines of, so now that you know all this, like you don't have any problems yourself or you've sort of got it solved. And like, how does that happen? And I guess it sort of shocked me because yeah, you can you can come across as an expert, but it is really so difficult to. You, there's, it's just not possible to always be in a good place, and even when you know the best response to a situation, it's still really difficult to actually walk those steps through that path to be able to get back to level level playing field. So it was sort of yeah, it was a bit of a. a a moment where it sort of shocked me and it really reminded me that yeah no one's invincible and i think it's yeah definitely to the whole coaching community it's it's something that a lot of coaches have trouble with is just keeping their own sort of emotional stability and yeah i think pat on the back to all the coaches out there who absorb so much for their athletes and and are able to to continually turn up day after day it's like being a like being a swimming technique coach like people might think well like my my technique must be perfect because you know, I do all this content and I've done it like all this coaching for a very long time but it's it's just as much of a challenge as, for me as it is for the other person to you know to refine their technique and, and swim well every time and it still requires the work you know if I'm swimming two or three times a week I'm just not going to be swimming as well as if I'm swimming four or five times a week and 
doing the right sessions for the right event and that kind of thing. So it's anyone who says that they're happy all the time or whatever, like perfect all the time, they're lying. And it's, yeah, it doesn't mean you're going to master it every, every single time. So it's, but it is like, that's what, certainly what I've noticed, even watching you coaching at our camps and things like that, you're just able to develop those relationships and see where people are coming from and, and then maybe help steer them in a, in a better direction. So it's, uh, yeah, I find it a real asset to the way that you coach, which I haven't seen in a lot of other coaches that I've, I've come across. So that's why I think it's quite a unique part of your own, your own coaching. That's just been such a great part of being involved in the effortless swimming clinics and camps over the years as well, is that we just get to meet so many new people that come, come through the doors. And it's always fascinated me that someone else turns up to the clinic they've been in swimming and triathlon for three or four years and yet you've never met them you sort of feel like after a number of years you you would know everyone and have met everyone but uh, yeah as, as a coach doing the work that we do we're just so fortunate to to come across so many different people which gives gives us that experience of being able to learn from each of those people as well mm. yeah ab- absolutely and uh, and just to wrap things up here what What's exciting you for the next sort of six to 12 months? What are you most looking forward to? So on the back of Ironman 70.3 Tasmania last weekend, I qualified for the 70.3 world champs in Taupo, New Zealand in December this year. So um, that was sort of part one of the season goals ticked off, which was a great relief. Um, And initially I wasn't, I wasn't super motivated to get back to the 70.3 world champs, but I had such a good experience at the Worlds last year and I performed well on that big stage and I felt like I was close to a huge performance, but I sort of settled for a strong performance. And uh, yeah, going back to 70.3 worlds this year, I think you get a thirst for, for racing on the big days and yeah, I feel like I'm really looking forward to that opportunity. But the next couple of months, I'm going to turn the focus to the Ironman distance. I'll most likely be at Ironman Australia in May and Cairns Ironman in June as two opportunities to qualify for Hawaii in October, which it's it's still in my eyes the holy grail of the sport. And I've never put foot on the big island, even though I have coached a bunch of athletes to, to race there, but uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty motivated to, to try and get to Hawaii this year, particularly now that it's just on alternating years. So I still feel I haven't quite cracked the code over the Ironman distance. So yeah, I'm motivated to to learn some lessons in the next couple of months and, and be able to turn up to Port Macquarie and deliver a really good day. Sounds good. Well, I'm looking forward to, to watching you race it and it's great to see you get the spot for the half Ironman world, especially being so close to, to home as well. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great just watching your journey over the last that decade or so. And it's just been a, a pleasure having you on our camps and running our clinics. And like, we hadn't seen each other for a long time when we caught up in Thailand, hadn't seen each other for ages, but it was like, I you know, only saw you yesterday. So yeah, we wishing you all the best for the next couple of months with the racing. And uh, thanks for finally giving in and, and jumping on a podcast and, and, and sharing some of your story. It's not finished yet, but yeah, thank you very much for that. Thanks very much. Cheers, Falcon. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.